Rising Above Shadows of Abuse podcast. I'm your host, Grace Osba. Today, we have the amiable Biodu Naomi Bangboye, who is a lead facilitator of Status Dignus Child Rescue Initiative, a charity set up to provide a safe space for holistic development of children rescued from the streets. She is the proud mother of three young adults and a teenager. She's a network marketing professional in the health and wellness sector. She's passionate about gender equality, the recovery of victims of rape and gender-based violence. She's also a survivor of rape and violence. She's based in Belgium. Join me in welcoming Biodin Naomi Bangboye. Welcome, Biodin. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really looking forward to our discussion today. Fantastic. Can you please tell us a bit about yourself and how you came about the initiative? Uh, well, a bit about myself. Like, like you've um, already introduced me. I live in Belgium with my four children, um, three young adults <laughs> and one teenager. My baby is a teenager. Can you imagine? <laughs> so we have similarities because I've got four children as well, three <laughs> young adults and a teenager who is 14. Oh, my teenager is 17. I feel very old looking at him. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, um, I'm a development consultant. Um, and then I'm also a network marketing professional. I like to say that because um, a lot of people um, think only never do good to do network marketing. And it's not true. I combine that with uh, being a consultant um in the development sector. So these are the two things I do. I've lived in Belgium now for 17 years, um, but I shuttle to Nigeria quite often because of the charity that I run there also. Um, And um, yeah, that's what I do. So those are the three hats I wear. Fantastic. That must be very, very um, encouraging to other women out there. Thanks. So can you share a bit about your experience, uh, your experiences in terms of violence, um, rape, and if you can compare um, it between uh, what happens, what is applicable in Nigeria and what is applicable in Europe? Um, first, I don't think abuse and uh, abuse, rape, any form of sexual violence has any difference wherever, which, whichever geographical location you're at. It's a power, it's a show of power, show of force. Um, abuse, sexual abuse is actually, it's doing something sexually to somebody against their consent just to be wicked, just to be cruel. And, um, I don't think there's a difference between um, Europe and Nigeria. But my experience in Nigeria, I've actually, my first experience of sexual abuse was when I was a child. I was been about five years old or so. And uh, a neighbor was, a neighbor used to touch me, touch me in my privates. I didn't know it was abuse. I didn't know what it was, to be honest with you. I just knew he didn't feel good, you know, I, and he had to hide to do that. And, but he, he, was, he was very nice to me. So I, I associated that with niceness, 
you know, it was something the nice uncle did. He gave he gave a lot of sweets. He gave me a lot of attention. So I thought he was nice. Um, and um, I never really considered that as abuse until I grew up and I had a child. And I somehow it just occurred to me one day, would how would I feel if somebody did to my daughter what somebody did to me? And that was the moment it struck for me that that was abuse. I was already over 30 years old when, I'm, when this happened, when it occurred to me that I'd been sexually molested as a child. It, I never knew it. Uh, I'd also been raped by a youth corps member. He was a teacher in my secondary school. It was in my form five and I was 15. That was my first experience of sexual, any sexual activity per se, apart from, you know, this molestation when I was a child. So that was my first experience of rape. The second one, uh, being raped multiple times, was also by somebody that was very close to me, very, very close to me, in fact, which is why um, I was even in a, in a place alone with him, somebody a bit older than me. I'd known him for I don't know how many years, since I was 10 years old, and this happened when I was 18 or so. So it probably practically watched me grow up and I he knew that I trusted him implicitly. I could hardly believe this was happening. I've not spoken to him since then. This is how many years ago? Um, almost 40, oh, yeah, about 30. Yeah, about 30 years ago now, 32, 33 years ago. So I've not spoken to him again since then. I mean, that was the end of the friendship, the closeness and anything. I don't ever want to hear from him at all. That must have been very traumatic for you. That it was. people who you it was trusted, very yeah. people who you trusted, betrayed your trust. Exactly. The last time I was actually really raped was um, was at gunpoint. Actually, it was by an armed robber who attacked me at home, and that is the reason why I actually left Nigeria because I didn't feel safe in the town where I was living anymore. I didn't just feel safe anymore, and my kids. Um, when it happened, I had three children. Um, they were very young. And actually, at a point, he held a gun um, to the back of my, uh, my, my second son. My daughter, my, the youngest one at that time, was sleeping. So she didn't know what happened at this period. But the two boys, um, they were, I think, eight and three years old when this happened and he put a gun to the three-year-old um to three-year-old's back so to be honest with you when i think of that um encounter i don't know what was more traumatic for me the fact that i was raped or the fact that i actually saw somebody put an ak-47 he had a terrific gun you know this kind you see on tv to my son's back and he had it uncocked. I can't describe the fear I went through. I can't describe, it was almost a relief for him to leave the children and face me, even though he raped me. So sometimes when I look back, I'm not really sure, was it, is it the trauma of having to go through such a humiliating experience? Such a, I can't even, I can't find words to, it's such quite a harrowing. experience. Yeah. Very harrowing. Or was it, the trauma of the fear. What if he had mistakenly shot my son? 
shot me and the children had watched him shoot me or even watched him rape me because what I'm really thankful for is that um, the children were in another room and I was in another space when he raped me. So this, this um, it was like hardly, you hardly get over one experience and then you go to another. I mean, it was, I don't even know. I mean, a lot of people ask me how I, how I overcame. I don't know if I overcame, to be honest. I was just about to ask you that question. How did you cope with all the trauma? It's like it's repeatedly. I don't down. even know if I coped because um, I look at my kids today and I know, you know, we say that um, if you don't heal from trauma, you bleed on others around you. And I think I bled on them. I mean, um, I wasn't, I wasn't an, my optimal person I wasn't, I don't think I've been, um, totally, you know, completely normal because I would have, um, my temper sometimes was so bad. I would have mood swings. I would have this and that. And who else do you, do they, who suffers this most? It's the children in the house. Or people closer to you. Or the people closest to you. You just shout at somebody at the kids for a small you children will always be children. Any small thing, oh, come on, get out, I can't do it. You know, there were times I knew that I just wasn't the best of myself. My work was sometimes my escape route. So I worked myself to blazes at times. I I was, I'm a, some people, you know, what somebody would call a high achiever. I have three master's degrees. I, I have a master's in human resource management. I have an MBA. I have a master's in political science. I would work, 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 you know. Uh, and this master's were all after that armed robbery I got. I was, I mean, doing one thing or the other just to keep busy. I don't know if that is coping. I've come to understand that that is not really coping. That we are achieving, um, you know, one degree or the other that we are making moves in you know career in business i'm not sure that um that is entirely coping or rising above abuse sometimes it is an escape from facing that trauma the real test for me has become how are you um in your relationship with other people how are you in the soft skills and that is where we find that even if we're excelling in um you know, getting qualifications and getting um, achievements. Many times we are falling back on that um, when we're dealing with trauma. One one thing goes for the other. Hmm. That is really, really, really... Um, I don't know what to say now. It's such a lot to take in. And did you ever think about getting therapy or, say, support from professionals who could help you deal with your emotions, your mental and emotional wellness? Initially, I didn't. I didn't even know where to turn to, to be honest. I, um, first of all, like when, at, when I was growing up and these earlier rapes happened, I didn't know where to turn to. I didn't tell anybody. You didn't tell anybody any of those things in Nigeria. You would be blamed. I mean, what was I doing in a teacher's place that he raped me? It's hard to explain that. Well, when a teacher calls you, 
you answer, you go. I mean, I was in a boarding house when this happened. Or what was I doing in a guy's room for him to be able to rape me? It would have been hard to explain that this is somebody I've known since I was 10 years old. I used to sleep in that same room and feel totally safe a few years before this happened. So, you know, you didn't tell anybody these things. Um, so I never told anybody. I had a notebook where I just used to write and, you know, like weep and rant in, in that book. Um, that was all I did. When I moved to Europe, after the rape in uh, the, with the armed robber, um, I'd had enough. <laughs> um, and um, I went, I remember going to, a few months after that, I took myself for HIV testing. And um, the, the lab technicians wanted to know why I was doing, I was coming for HIV testing. I lived in Benue State at that time. And this was a period when um, HIV AIDS was really rampant in Benue State. So there were very, they had very good facilities, testing and counseling facilities. So I remember, they, I knew the lab, um, the owner of the lab where I went to do the test. So he called me in and said, they have to take a report for people who come in voluntarily for HIV AIDS testing, because you must know. Uh, for you to come for the test, is either you've been exposed to something. And I said, yes, I was raped by an armed robber two months ago. And the man was, he was supposed to be counseling me. And I was the one consoling him. Like, <laughs> my ex-husband didn't live um, in the country with me. So I was alone with the kids when this happened. Um, and so I didn't know. And when I moved to Belgium, I moved to Belgium like two years after this happened or one and a half years after it happened. Um, I didn't know where to turn to. I was just, I just had to survive. It was a new country. I was pregnant actually for my youngest now by that time. Um, I was just trying to do things to survive. I decided to have another baby. I, I just, I was still working until the last minute, although work had now become really difficult. Anything to do with my, to do, to use my brain for had become tedious at this time. So I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go to. It was just and coming to a new environment. I didn't even know what was available. I just needed to survive. That was all. I was in survival mode for many. In fact, I think I still am, but I'm gradually easing out. Um, it wasn't, I think, um, at a point, my doctor felt there was a problem because every year, maybe two or three times a year, I would lose my voice totally. As in, it wouldn't even be hoarse. It would be just like, <sighs> I couldn't speak at all. And at a point she called me and told me, this is not normal because there's nothing physically, I can't find anything physically responsible for this. Um, can you tell me a bit about what you're going through now, what you've gone through in the past? And I didn't. I think it took another three years for me. I, a friend came into the office where I worked and her child had been molested, sexually molested. And she mentioned it and all of us stood around and comforted her. When she went out of the office that day, I just started, you know, shaking. Shaking. Physical. I couldn't do anything. I was shaking to the point where the lady sitting beside me had to ask me, what is wrong? I couldn't say a word. I was actually 
just shaking. So somebody called the head of department and I got somebody to escort me. We booked an appointment with my doctor and that was the first time I would actually say everything and talk about it. And um, she recommended a therapist. So I went to see the therapist um, and the first session was so heavy that I, I couldn't find my way back home after that therapy session. I went the second time, it was even worse. This was, by this time I just gotten divorced. So I was also facing the trauma of that on the side. And then this backlog of baggage that I had. The third visit to that therapist, I knew I couldn't go on. I, I was losing everything as in three times I went to this lady each time after the session, I couldn't find my way home. The first, the one time I roamed around three hours, I couldn't find my way home. I'm just thankful to God that I wasn't driving. It was that bad. And then, you know, one thing after the other, it was, I stopped that therapy session. I got so scared of having therapy. So I just continued, you know, bulldozing it. And, um, I must say, I was bulldozing it. It wasn't easy on me. It wasn't easy on my children. I keep thinking of my children because I know that I really bled on them. I mean, I keep on apologizing to them now. Like, I didn't make your life easy as kids. I was strict when I shouldn't even have been. I was so unstable sometimes. Um, I wish I'd done it better. But, well, I thank God I have wonderful children. So, um I, I was bulldozing it until a couple of years back. Um, I had a crash. I totally crashed. My BP went skyrocketed to, <laughs> I don't know where, I think it was about 220 over 110. My kidney was beginning to malfunction. My, my neck was stiff. I couldn't move it. I couldn't think. I was just crying hysterically. For nothing. If you asked me why I was crying, even I didn't know. I couldn't explain it. I was just weeping for nothing. I was in a mess. I had to go to the doctor and um, my doctor didn't want me to start with medication directly. She knew that something was wrong. So she sent me first to the physiotherapist. She sent me for therapy. I was scared of the therapy, but I started it because by this time I was doing my third master's then uh, and I couldn't function at all. Um, so I started with therapy then, and I'm really grateful for the man who was my therapist then because as in he practically held my hand to go out. Normally, you know, you have therapy sessions. At this, I was having weekly sessions with him. But apart from that, I was, he was, I was having daily WhatsApp therapy on, with him. I don't think... Many therapists do that, especially not in Europe. It's the therapy you pay for that is. But he saw the condition I was in. So every day I had to do certain tasks and send that to him on WhatsApp. And he would ask some questions. And it was like somebody was holding my hand step by step to pull me out. Um, I did that with him for like six months. And then come and then before I went on medication because the, the some of the symptoms reduced my blood pressure. I was able to get it back under control. 
the kidney function was still shaking for a while, but it's now back under control. Um, the therapist helped me. This, this, I was having a constant headache, as in like your head wants to split. I don't even know whether it was a, um, whether it's a, what kind of headache it was. It was sometimes it was a migraine. Sometimes it was right here in the middle. It was sometimes it was at the back of my head. Well, um, with um, physiotherapy, that actually helped because I was, I didn't take any medication for that. Um, so it was an all-round thing. And um, then I'm still in therapy. I'm still taking the medication. I've had to shuttle with dosage and so on. So it's now that I can really say that I'm taking time to learn about healing, to learn about the effects that um, all the years of trauma have had on me physically, mentally, and I'm able to face the fact that even though I seemed to have been achieving big things, I wasn't actually operating how I should be. It took me a long time to be able to face the fact that I wasn't the ideal mother that I, you know, used to deceive myself that I was. I actually spent some time talking with my children. They were open with me, told me where they felt I had failed them, told them the pain and some of the things that had caused them. And that was heavy for me because, you know, we like to see, think that we are doing good. <laughs> We like to think that we are, um, that, you know, our parenting styles are good. Meanwhile, most, some of, now I can look back and say a lot of what was my supposedly good parenting styles was just trauma response. Wow. That is very, 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 very heavy. And thank you so much for sharing this because... I can imagine what you went through. I went, I, I, I went through domestic violence, but I don't think it was as traumatic as yours because yours was coupled with rape. And I yep. believe sharing with your husband must have triggered the um, the divorce. I'm not sure about that. Actually, it didn't. It didn't because um, I think I would I would have totally broken down if he hadn't supported me initially because he wasn't in the country when. Um, the rape happened, but and I didn't tell him over the phone. He came back to Nigeria. He came, he came to Nigeria three months after it happened, and I told him. And I remember that that night I told him. He didn't say anything. He just held me really close. He didn't let me go. He just held me really close that night. He didn't do anything else. He didn't say anything else. He just held me really close. And I, I, I think at a point I was crying. No, just soft tear, tears. And I, I, for a long time, even when he started, when the marriage started wobbling, I would always have that picture in my mind. You know, that this, if he hadn't done that, I don't know if I would have coped to the extent to which I coped. But when um, eventually the marriage failed totally and I filed for divorce, he, he used it against me, actually. He, um, he reported to the guy that was my pastor then, because I didn't tell anybody when I filed for divorce. So he reported to my pastor, and um, the pastor called us for a discussion. And while we were discussing, he said, well, you have to ask her. I know she was unfaithful to me when, we went, when she was in Nigeria. 
and she lied about it being that somebody came to rape her. And she even lied that it was at gunpoint. And this was the first time this man, the pastor, would hear of it. And he looked at me and said, what are you saying? <laughs> and I, he said it again. He said, yes, she claims that she was raped at gunpoint by an armed robber. But I know that she invited a man in to sleep with her and she just used that to cover it up. So you can imagine that um, the discussion was over that time because the pastor looked at me and said, sis, was, did this really happen? I said, yes, it happened. He knew. He knows about it. Not everybody does, but he knows about it. And you use this. This happened when he mentioned the yes. This happened like 10, 11, 10 years ago, and you are using this now against her? You didn't know she was unfaithful to you all the time, and she came and joined you here, and she, you've been living together, and now you use this trauma against, and you want to claim this as the one thing you have against her, he, the, the man just said, I think this is the end of today's meeting. I said, yes. I mean, but for me, that was like, he had already done, he, hadn't, he couldn't have done anything worse than that, uh, than what he had already done for the marriage to end. But it wasn't the rape, actually, that led to the end of the marriage. It's just that he knew what it meant to me and he used it against me. He wanted to use it against me. That was the greatest betrayal, I presume. Yeah, for, for me, yes. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Amen, amen. I'm actually speechless. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I'm sorry. That's all right. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot to take on. It's yeah. a lot to take in. But um, I'm happy that, you know, you're progressing in terms of the healing and being whole. And would you say, in a way, going through therapy is a way of freedom for you to do more work for your community? Yeah, I think so. Yes, I think so. Because, um, like I mentioned, you know, um, achievements, you can achieve things and they, you, you, those are the things we put forward and say, oh, yes, I'm, 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 I'm doing good when really you are not doing good. The, the conditions under which you achieve those things, the people you hurt along the way without even realizing it because you're, you know, you do have a baggage you're carrying. You are bleeding on people. You don't, you don't even know you're bleeding. You're bleeding on people. So with therapy, it's helping me to uh, confront patterns in my, you know, patterns of behavior, patterns, thoughts, patterns, it's helped me to confront. It's been a very difficult time, I must tell you. I think um, being able to um, um, go through a journey of healing is, is, is really difficult, actually. I don't know what is more difficult. And maybe it's because I've carried it for so long. Um, but having to confront myself, it's self-confrontational. There are times when I'm totally, I can't do anything. I just, I'm just flat out like that, you know, and, but in the long run, I'm having, uh, my, the anxiety levels I deal with are less. Okay. They am understanding the way my body works and it's and understanding it in relationship with, in relation to, um, some things I used to think were normal. For instance, um, I always had a, like a pain 
somewhere here. Actually, physical pain. I feel it if I drink water, for instance, you know, if I drink a glass of water, I feel it's almost like an ulcer, but it wasn't, I didn't have any physical ulcers. But I feel that pain physically, it's a physical pain. And um, it was during the first few months of therapy, we were talking about fear. And uh, my therapist talked about uh, the fear of if I was afraid of dying. And I said, no, the, my only fear is that I shouldn't die before my children are old enough to take care of themselves. And he asked why. And we began to talk. And then it came to how I felt when this man had the gun at my son's back. And we talked about it and... He helped me to see that the children were no more at the risk they were. The fear I carried at that time about dying before them was no longer um, needed. You know, and we talked about it and I went home and I, I walked home from the therapist's office. It was about 15 minutes and that was all I could think about. Like, it became a relief for me. Like, I would look at my son's, my oldest son's age. He was over 20 then. I was thinking, oh, thank God, he's over 20. He can handle his younger ones. And it just made sense that even if I wanted to die now, it seems very crazy, but I, I just thought, if I want to, if I even die now, the children will not suffer. And it was such a relief that the next morning, I didn't feel any difference, but the next morning I woke up and something felt strange. I had to ask myself what it is. What was it? The pain in my chest was gone. It was totally gone, as in, up till now. I mean, once in a while it comes back, but it's no more my normal. Now, when it's there, I know something is wrong. Do you get the difference? I do get the difference. And there were a lot of body um, signals that I have always had. I always thought it was normal. In my, I can pinpoint them on my body. And I always thought it was normal. Now I'm beginning to understand that this is where trauma was stored in my body. And it had become, my body was giving me signals, but I didn't understand it. So everything, I had severe anxiety and I didn't even know it was anxiety. I thought it was normal. So I can imagine because um, from what you just shared with me, you were having a bodily ache because of the trauma you were carrying and you had post-stress as post-traumatic stress disorder but you didn't know how to place it because you were not um educated in no. in that area so it was until you went to your therapist that he was able to kind of ask you questions and tell you things that you know you, it was like the healing has started and that yeah. is why you, the following day, when he told you, you, you're okay now, you don't have to think you're going to die because your son is older, you don't have to carry the burden. And then when you slept and woke up the next day, you found that the, the, the pain, that sharp pain, had disappeared. Yeah. And that's not the only one. That's just one that I can give. I mean, now there are a lot of um, aches and things that I don't feel anymore. Um, but and if, when it do, when it does come, now I recognize what it is. That my body is telling me, one that I'm producing the wrong, uh, the wrong um, enzymes or the wrong hormones, and it is because I have to trace it. I'm able to trace it, and then um, like kind of talk to myself out of that situation. Sometimes 
I do a meditation, I put on something. There are certain meditations I've found that works for me and I listen to it and it calms me and the pain eases. There are still some that have not yet totally gone. And I know, I I mean, I can feel it. I've always had problems also with my digestive system. And um, I also began to understand that it is just directly linked to the past trauma. So gradually, the one way the um, therapy and the medication has helped me over this past two years is that even the physical um, ailments that I was living with have reduced. So you can imagine if you're having, if you're living with a constant headache and you still have to relate with everybody and you always assumed that that headache was normal. When it's severe, you will be nasty to people around you and you won't be able to explain what is wrong. But once that pain goes and you feel relieved, suddenly your mood improves. And when your mood improves, the way the quality of work you do, the relationship you have with people, it's, it's, it's improved. So something like that, so that even without much um, effort, the, um, just the physical discomfort I was living with has reduced by like, I would say 70%. Yeah, absolutely right. It must have been uh, due to the trauma and you know the negative patterns, thought patterns that triggered most of the headaches. Uh-huh. And now that you you've gone through a bit of therapy, you are able to relate better because you don't feel the pain. Yeah. Yes, that's true. So, what would you like to say to people who are going through something similar to what you've gone through? Um, first of all, uh, trauma is not your fault. Um, whatever you've gone through is not your fault. Even where you find ways you can blame yourself. For instance, I would blame myself. Why did I go and visit this person at that time? Or why didn't I do this? Or why didn't that? It doesn't matter what part you claim you think you took in that trauma. It's not your fault. Having said that, getting healing is your responsibility. The person that caused the trauma for you, unfortunately, is not the person that suffers when you, you know, when that trauma begins to play out in your life. It's those whom you really love that suffer it. So it's your responsibility to get healing. And let me tell you, those things that you think are normal, for instance, somebody are not, you get angry easily. I've heard women say, look, that's just how I am. No, that's not just how you are. You are not designed to get angry easily. No, that's not how you are. You were designed to operate maximally in the best of moods with a calmness and a relaxedness in your system. That's how you were meant to be. If you're getting upset over little things, if your mood changes and just, you know, that is your mood swings. Yes, we say it's hormonal many times, but many times... It's trauma. Many times it is your trauma that is causing you to produce the wrong hormones. You're not, if your body is not operating on what it should be operating on, it's, it's, there's a science to this thing, you know, there's a chemistry to it, there's a physics to it, there's a biology to it. 
trauma is stored in the body. It's not just feelings. Every feeling you have does something to your body. It does something to your body. That's why you find even doctors will tell you if you're constantly having ulcers, if you even cancer is traced to, um, you know, feelings that we keep in our body. And sometimes it's not the typical anger or bitterness against somebody. It's trauma. Trauma is an injury. It is actually an injury. If, for instance, I mean, in medical medicine also, the medical doctors will use trauma for a physical injury, like, uh, you know, there's trauma to the elbow. It means that that elbow, there's damage to it. Also, when you have trauma that you don't see with your eyes, it doesn't mean that there is, that you can get over it just by whispering. And, you know, there is damage. So even if somebody annoyed you or somebody raped you or did something to you and you say you have forgiven that person forgiveness is different from healing assume you were in a car accident somebody caused a car accident that broke your leg you can truly forgive that person you still need to heal that leg you can't say oh i'm forgiving the person therefore my leg is healed no you can forgive and you can still have pain there is, there are two things. Forgiveness is part of the healing, but it is not the entire thing. So many times, you know, a lot of people have told me, just forgive that person. That is all. No, that is not all. Because the person did damage to you, emotionally, mentally. Even when you're forgiving that person, you need to make sure that that damage is repaired. So, don't confuse it and don't blame yourself. One of the things that um, a lot of us who've been traumatized have to deal with constantly is guilt. And you, it is a guilt you put on yourself. And it is very hard to get out of. It's a guilt that can drown you and actually make you feel like killing yourself. Like, goodness, I'm useless, I'm worthless. How could I have allowed this thing to happen? How could, that is a typical trauma response guilt and shame don't allow it to overcome you please i think that's quite a lot <laughs> thank you so much um Biodun, for sharing this it's been a wonderful uh time with you and i will say you're a strong woman you're a courageous you. woman yeah. you're a confident woman and you're a blessing to your generation thank, thank you very you. much you're welcome if you enjoyed this episode, kindly subscribe to the podcast, share and comment. You can reach us at risingaboveshadowsofabuse at gmail.com and our social media platforms. Comment, share it and see you on our next episode. Thank you. Rising Above Shadows of Abuse podcast with Grace Offbar.